welcome. It seems like you're trying to go into the ditch. I see, ladies and gentlemen, already. We haven't even started. Well, welcome. So how's everybody doing tonight? Hello, Tracy. How are you? Doing good, Grizz. Doing good. How are you Hello. doing, buddy? Wonderful. Hello, Gary. So, Crystal. Everyone knows. Rebecca. Hello, everybody. Stanley I'm working on a new computer tonight, Grizzly. Hopefully, uh, the voice and everything comes up good. So, uh, my apologies to any. This is the third one. If it ain't this, it's got to be my connection somewhere in the in the Wi-Fi or whatever. I live down at the bottom of a hill, so I have, have some issues there. So, <laughs> how you been, man? Hello, Doing good. Hello, Catherine. Roger Blair, welcome everybody to another edition. Hopefully everybody's doing good. Nice to see you, Tracy. So welcome everybody. So what we got you going too. on tonight, kind sir? What have you been up to, Chris? No, just staying busy like always. Well, we have <laughs> we have Miss uh, Rebecca uh, Rachel Hayward on tonight. She is on from a very late time over in England right now. So, uh, it's almost midnight there. Or actually, I guess it would be midnight there now. So twelve oh four. She's she's a yep. She's a great person and uh, somebody that we should get on her and, and get her talking about us. So we ain't got to keep her up too late. Welcome, Rachel. How you doing there? <laughs> good, well, I should say good morning. Actually, so good morning to you. Yeah, we're doing okay over here. Thank you. Well, good. Nice to have you. So tell us all about yourself. Um, oh gosh, that's a one. Um, I'm a paranormal investigator um, and an author. That's in a nutshell. That's me. I've been investigating the paranormal for about forty years, and approximately five years ago, I released my autobiography, A Lock House Haunting, because I grew up on the River Thames in a haunted lock house. Oh, wow. Interesting. So tell us about that. So so haunted lock, lock house. Can, can you explain? Yeah, um, the, yeah. the River Thames has uh, approximately 45 locks on it. Um, each lock has a lock keeper's cottage, which is there mainly to ensure the safe passage of the boats on the river. Uh, the one that I lived in, my father was a lock keeper in Berkshire for, he, well, overall, he was there for over 30 years. But at this lock, it was, um, I was there for about 21 years. Um, the house was built in 1731. And we experienced activity since, well, ever since I was younger than I could remember to be honest up until the point I left wow that's interesting that's old it was give, old yes give me a minute Chris I'm gonna have to sign on for my phone yeah so what kind of uh, experiences did you have living in something like that um well the the house the actual lock was situated between two islands so we lived on an island um we were the only house on there um the experiences ranged from footsteps to um seeing apparitions um items being moved i um bed clothes being tossed onto the floor um oh gosh drawers opening and closing by themselves wow voices um one of the one point i was pushed down the stairs um and had a i suppose the best way to describe it would be a disembodied arm with the hand landing very firmly on my shoulder. Probably about the fastest I've ever run in my life, if truth be told. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine that. I'm No, not at all. Uh, no. How long did you endure this? For how many years? Um, my first experience that I remember was just 
around about six years old and I left the house when I was 21. Wow. So Tracy, yeah. she's got a lot of activity during that period. That is that is awesome to hear. Depending on which yeah. way you're looking at it, right? <laughs> yes. It's one of it's one of those things where I wish I could go back now as an adult and actually investigate it properly. But as a child, it was terrifying. So, so, and I forgive me, I had to sign out and come back in. So that was at the lock house, right? That was, yes. Yes. And that was in Berkshire. Yeah. Near Windsor. On the, on, on the river Thames. Okay. That yeah. is, that is awesome. Uh, my, and I say this too many times, but my wife and I went to, uh, London last year. So, that, that was pretty cool to be able to see all that stuff down there. A lot of good history there. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So if you don't, so lock keeper, so I'm lock keeper, I'm assuming a dam, right? Uh, for a um, river or? For a river, yes. On the Thames, the same river that runs through London. Yeah. Um, and the locks are basically there to ensure safe passage of the boats. And they have weirs which maintain or try to maintain the level of the water so that it's kept safe. At the moment, we've got too much water um, yeah. and there's a lot of flooding. And you published a book on it called The Lock House Haunting in 2000. I did indeed, yes. We're, we're, uh, while we're talking about that, where can people get that? Uh, they can get that on Amazon. Okay. Where? Yep. On yeah, no, that's awesome. In fact, hold on two seconds. Oh. That wasn't planned at all, but I was um, showing somebody else if I can. There we go. Oh, wow. There you go. That's my little bit. Apparently, I don't advertise myself enough. So there we go. <laughs> no, absolutely. My wife's looking it up right now. <laughs> Excellent. I hope you enjoy it. So uh, you, you talked about your young years and living there. You lived there till you were 24. Uh, yeah, I'm reading through. I'm kind of reading through your bio, uh, scanning through it. So you're talking uh, back in your teenage years, you travel alone to different locations, uh, uh, trying to find other, you know, uh, apparitions and stuff. So where where exactly did you go when you were that age to, to find these other other spots? Um, my first, if you can loosely call it an investigation, was at Hampton Court Palace. And I sat there in the long gallery for about two hours, just waiting to see something. I was about 16 at the time. Um, the only thing I saw were lots of tourists and the security guards who were quite perplexed by what I was doing. Um, but then after that, um, I did a bit of traveling in my teenage years. Um, so I did some investigating in Israel and um, a little bit in Australia, in Western Australia. And then um, a few years back, we were on holiday in Tunisia. So I did a little bit there as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah you've mm. been a lot of places. If you don't mind me asking, uh, how were you able to travel like that? Were you, was your, were your parents in the military or something like that? Or? No, no, no. My... Um, I lived in Israel for just under a year. Um, I was out on a kibbutz and then travelled, saved up my money and just travelled around. Um, and the other places were on holiday. Um, and I've got family in Australia, so we were out there to see them. Wow. Rebecca's asking, Rachel, during your time at the lockhouse, what was your first haunting experience? And was you six years old when that happened, you think? Uh, yes. I, my brother had died. I was about six. And it was the following year because my dad had redecorated and I'd moved into my brother's old room, primarily because it was the next size up from the room that I was in. Um, my room originally was just like a box room. And I used to be visited by 
the best way to describe him would be, I mean, bearing in mind I was about six, was a boy who looked maybe 13, 14. Um, he wore quite a smart suit, collarless. I remember that distinctly. And he used to try and get me to do things that weren't very good, like throw things out of the window. Um which got me into trouble with my mum and dad because I did. Um, and he wasn't very pleasant. Wow. Um, so and that got that took to the point where my parents actually took me to the doctors because they thought I might need some kind of help, shall we say. Right. She's also asking, Rachel, do you have any uh, adult help when you learn how to deal with the paranormal living there? Uh, no, not when I was growing up. It was um, very much a case of there's no such things as ghosts. Um, that wonderful line that seemed to be spouted quite a lot in those days. There wasn't the acceptance or even close to the understanding that there is now. So it 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 made for quite a lonely childhood in many respects. No, I can imagine. What a... What happened with the the thirteen or fourteen year old boy? Did it just he just eventually go away, or or, or what? Um, yes, basically, um, from memory, I yelled at him, and he didn't come back. It was quite bizarre because one of the things I always remember is he always used my name, but I never knew his name, and that was something that weirdly stuck with me. As time went by there, did, uh, you know, I know you saw more than that. What what other uh, apparitions or people did you see in there? Um, I had one, one incident, which actually has proved quite fascinating um, because of recent events. Um, one evening, my, my father was um, a stickler for when you're young, being in bed early and all that sort of thing. So, this was a, a July early evening, maybe seven, seven eight o'clock at night. Um, I was reading, and it's very difficult to describe, but basically there was um, a spirit, an apparition came through who looked like um, a Tudor merchant um, dressed in, in very sort of Tudor-styled clothing, who, when he came in and we kind of looked at each other, I was lying in bed, he looked at me, I looked at him, and I don't know who was more surprised to see each other. And he looked at me, as I said, in complete surprise and then kind of like, not so much faded, but went backwards through time sort of it, it was very it was almost like dropping a pebble you know how you drop a pebble into water and it gets smaller and smaller but you can still see it it was kind of like that effect um and that was quite surprising and what was interesting about that is um just up river from us in the village um is holy trinity church which is actually where i was christened and in the past couple of years, they've been doing a major archaeological dig behind the church where they have discovered a lost um, monastery. And it transpires that Cookham, back in sort of medieval to Tudor period, was one of the most important ports alongside London. And there was a lot of merchant trading um, between the the boats and the monastery. Um, so it, whereas I always found it quite strange that I would see a Tudor merchant there, it kind of now makes sense why I would have done. Interesting. You know, it, it's weird, you so know, because we hear this a lot, right? Where people see apparitions and it's like they go along their business and they look at you and you look at them and they're like, you can see me? And they're in shock. I wonder why that it is. It was, I mean, as, as I said, it, I said it in my book, it was as, as if he just did not expect to 
almost like he'd gone through the wrong door sort of a, obviously not a, a solid door but it, it was he was just absolutely astonished to see me there was no malice there was no nothing um he just just looked genuinely surprised to see me um and i was quite surprised to see him as well to be honest but it, it wasn't a, that wasn't a scary um um incident at all interesting so I'm looking. Uh, so around 2007, uh, uh, you moved to the the forest of Dean, or you had your second child in that area in in, in Gloucestershire. Am I saying that right? Gloucestershire, yeah. Gloucestershire. <laughs> it's our weird language. Don't worry yeah. about it. Our spelling is horrendous in this country. Yeah. <laughs> so it says, uh, you know, you had said that you that's where you, when you started to really seriously pursue uh, the paranormal, uh, and you set up. Uh, a group called Researchers of Paranormal Events, R-O-P-E, Rope. Can, can you talk That's about correct. that, please? Yeah, yeah we've, um, we're a small team. There's um, technically six of us, although most of the time there is only three of us investigating, primarily because of um, family commitment, so it's not always easy for people to get out. Um, so we've been going since... Oh, 2011 2012 maybe um go all over the country we've been in fact we are in cornwall this weekend um investigating the i don't know whether you'd call it famous or infamous jamaica inn in cornwall um we travel we've been up north to chillingham castle which is just south of scotland um we'll do we do private residential investigations and we, we have been known to hold public events as well what is your during that time what, what's what been the one place you went that really surprised you that you got tons of ev evidence at oh um that's a difficult one to say because every location is different. Um, one of the uh, a place in Cornwall we went to, which was a, a youth hostel. It used to be, um, it was built on the train line. It's a Victorian station that was used mainly for storage. Um, we didn't expect any activity there at all. And I can actually remember when we got out of the car when we first arrived, my words were, well, this looks haunted, not. Um, the first night we were there, we had a dragging noise, which nobody could explain. There was nobody there. The second night, um, I still find it hard to put into words. We had constant tapping, which was coming from wherever you wanted it to come from we were pointing and say right could you tap on this wall and it would we said can you tap on this door and it did we knew that there was nobody else behind the door because it was our room and our room was empty because we were all out all in the hallway um that then escalated to um something that i never believed in which was table tipping and we had a solid oak coffee table sliding around the room as if it was on glass or water. And to push it by ourselves was incredibly difficult because it kept digging into the carpet. But this table was just, oh, I, it was unbelievable. We, we talked about it for months afterwards, just could not believe what we were seeing. And it was the lightest of touches. I mean, when it first started to move, um, myself and Kim, one of our investigators, we just looked at each other and we examined this table so, so intricately. And we were we were looking desperately to find someone that was responsible. And there was just nobody was pushing this table. We had our hands on it and that was it. And it was going around the room like a rocket at times. Absolutely incredible. Wow. Um, then um, one of the, I don't get scared on investigations, um, 
saying that we have a Victorian prison in Gloucester, which is now, um, oh, I can't think of the phrase, but it's no longer in use. So it's used a lot for ghost hunts and things like that. And one of the first times we went there, the activity was mind-blowing. Um, we we had tapping in what they classed as the um, chapel, which was it was quite interesting, you know. And then we moved to an area where the um, prisoners would have been um, examined, basically, to check for drugs and things like that. And there were six of us in the room and we could distinctly hear a male heavy breathing. And we were six women. There was no men um, in there with us. And we could smell like fetid breath. It was really very, very unpleasant. And the other girls said, look, we just don't feel comfortable with this. So I said, right, OK, we'll leave. And I made the mistake of saying well we're going to go now but you're boring me I don't find you very interesting you may have frightened the others but you've not bothered me um we then moved up into one of the cell blocks and as we came out onto the the cell landing we could hear tapping now we were the only people in the cell block and there'd be <laughs> Catherine says I'd be gone <laughs> and we had tapping on the handrail. So we all stood there, made sure it wasn't any of us, made sure it wasn't any atmospheric um, conditions. And this tapping continued and it was like it wanted us to follow it. So we followed it and then the tapping stopped outside a cell. So Kim, who was with us, she went in and she said, oh, my God, you've got to come in here. It stinks. It stinks of BO and stale tobacco. It's horrible. So I was like, yeah, all right. They said, no, 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 you've got to come in. I walked in and walked straight back out again. And she said to me, she said, oh, could you smell it? I said, no, I couldn't smell a thing. And she said, well, why did you leave? And I said, well, between you and me, this face appeared of this oldish man with lanky grey hair, big sideburns, just leering at me between her and me. And it, it kind of really shook me up, which was unusual. And we sort of standing outside on the cell. And I said to the, um, I, I just said sort of out loud, was that the spirit that I told her um, was boring? And it just banged really loudly and I was like okay you got me on that one I'll let you have that but that was that was quite scary and Gloucester prison has got quite a reputation now for being quite haunted I am not going ghost hunting with you <laughs> a lot of people say that I I this is it I tend not to get scared while people are running away I'm running forward and and trying to investigate more that's what, what I'm, that's what we're there for so yeah, why, why do you think that you have, it seems like you have a good connection with with, with all these uh, entities. Why, why do you think that is, is like that with you? You know, I've been asked this a lot, and the only thing I can put it down to is I've got quite a forthright personality, and I my, my character is challenging, um, so I don't, I'm not afraid. And I think they kind of find me as a bit of a challenge. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can go months without anything happening at all. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things. And you, you can go, I mean, the times I've wondered why I do this, because you're, it costs a lot of money. You don't make any money. You right. do it for love. You're in all weathers. I mean, yeah. next week it's probably going to be snowing in Cornwall. So it'll be blooming freezing. Yep. And you wonder why on earth you're doing it. And you think, do you know what? I'd much rather be sitting at home with my husband watching a good film. And then you get something. And all of a sudden you get, you realise why you're doing it. You're doing it for that, that bit of activity that is helping you to discover whatever it is you're discovering do you ever uh 
utilize any any mediums or psychics when you go to your investigations? Um, I don't personally, but I have um, friends and colleagues who are psychics and mediums, sensitives. Um, and it's always interesting, I find, to see what they pick up on and then if we can corroborate any of that. Um, it's a good it's a good research tool to see if you know if there is any evidence of you know you can back up what they're saying basically so yeah i'm reading here as well you've had two of your experience uh experiences in uh, dr cal cooper's book telephone calls from the dead Okay, mm -hmm. and one uh, another experience in John Fraser's book Poulter, guys. Can you explain yep. what those experiences are? I can. Um, strangely enough, I'm actually doing a talk tomorrow with um, a group on the poltergeist one. Um, it's usually I try and stay um, detached, um, and I believe that when you're investigating. You shouldn't let your opinions, your thoughts, your beliefs um, affect what you're investigating because it's you've got to look at what's happening and not what you think is happening. Um, the poltergeist one, we were at Herefordshire Shire Hall, um, which originally, well, it, it now stands on what was a jail. And the jail used to have a flat roof, and that's where they hanged people by chucking them off the roof, basically. In, oh, I think it was about 2016, we were there, and we'd arrived and we'd been told that the duty sergeant had gone home with the cell keys. So if we went in the cells and the cell door shuts, We'd be there to the Monday morning. Um, so we thought, right, we, we won't be going in the cells. Now, Herefordshire, it's quite unique because as a Shire Hall, it has two active um, crown courts. Couldn't think then, it's late. Excuse me. Um, it has two active crown courts that are in use and it has four cells underneath. So it's quite unique for a Shire Hall to still have this. Anyway, we were unpacking and we were at the sergeant's desk and we heard tapping. We hadn't asked for anything. We were literally taking out bits and pieces from the bag. And in a nutshell, we had a five minute conversation with the tapping um, of someone who said that they were female, that they were hanged for a crime that they didn't commit they were they said that they were hanged for killing someone but not for murder it was quite an interesting conversation with the tapping answering yes and silence as no anyway i'd managed to ask the questions where i thought i might be able to glean enough information to see if i could trace this person i wasn't overly confident um, but I went back and there is we have a wonderful um, website in this country called capitalpunishment.org. And it's basic when I first found it, it was quite rudimentary, but it's grown. And it basically tells of every prison, every prisoner that was convicted, what they were convicted for and what their punishment was, which when you're doing research is really useful. Anyway, it transpired that only 20 people had been hanged at Herefordshire um, Jail. And out of those 20 people, only two were women. One woman had been hanged for theft. I think it was theft of a horse, but I'd have to check. But the other one was hanged for murder. And her name was Sarah Pugh. It took a bit more research because it was, as I say, quite rudimentary. But I managed to look into this. I, I hired a freelance researcher who sent me a plethora of information from um, newspapers from the 1800s, which actually um, told about this woman's crime. 
um basically she she was staying in a halfway house with her 12 year old daughter and at five o'clock in the morning the people in the in the room there was about 12 people in the room woke to find this lady sarah Pugh, trying to cut her own throat um the noise and this is where i find it really bizarre but this is how it's reported the noise woke her 12 year old daughter who upon woke waking discovered that her throat had been slit the story varies slightly about where she actually died whether she died in the room or outside one of the stories is that she was trying to she ran naked from the house trying to get to her sister who lived who was working in a street sort of a couple of streets away um, but either way she died and Sarah Pugh was hanged for her murder it's a really rare case because back then in infanticide the killing of your children was really common it was killing your babies because they just couldn't afford to look after or feed their children you know so most um killing of children was children under the age of six months old um so the research i found was that basically this lady had two children it seemed that there was a husband but the husband had possibly died and she could no longer afford to look after herself and in those days you had two choices if you were sort of you know poor your choices were prostitution or the poorhouse and what mother wants to put her child into prostitution or a poorhouse um and so that I found really fascinating and I've become really involved in sort of looking for this information, which was I found really fascinating that the, the tapping that we received, which I had scientifically evaluated. I could then by asking the right questions have been able to correlate into history what actually happened. I can't say it was definitely Sarah Pugh, but it all of the boxes seemed to be ticked. Um, so that I was found, I found really fascinating. Now, the one in Dr. Cal Cooper's book was completely different um, and extraordinarily bizarre and very difficult to explain. Basically, um, in 1999, my dad died, had a heart attack. A few weeks later, myself, my husband, who at the time was still my fiance, and my daughter, who was eight at the time, we went on holiday into Devon. Uh, we went camping. So we're in a campsite. And it was either the night before or the night after the massive eclipse that we had back then. And basically, this telephone starts ringing and to me it became the, the 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 sound resembled the phone that we used to have at the lock and while this is all happening I'm arguing with myself out loud it's 10 o'clock at night um, I'm arguing with myself that I shouldn't be hearing this noise this is my brain is obviously doing something really bizarre and can my brain please shut up and this sound of this ringing phone still continues and eventually I answer it I'm not really sure how I answered it but I answered it and it's my dad and I had um, a five-minute conversation with my father who had basically as he said contacted me to ensure that i look after my mother wow um at the end of this phone call i go out of the tent i burst into tears and i'm sick because it just really shocked me i didn't even believe it when i'm talking i'm going yeah 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 you're not my dad you're just my brain and it was indescribably bizarre and i didn't even know these sorts of things could happen back then until i i did some research and then
Cal was doing some research and I was put in contact with him. Um, hence why it's in the book. But that, yeah, it was a really bizarre and a very, very emotional experience. Well, I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we always, I always hear the story. I don't know if you ever heard it, Chris, here in the States. The uh, gal that, or this, this woman that uh, was dating somebody for a long time and they break up and a lot of time goes by and she gets a call in the middle of the night from him and he's apologizing to her for what had happened between them. And, you know, it's like a year or two after they, they broke up and they talk for like a half an hour on the phone. And then the next morning she calls his house and his mom answers. And the mom's like, no, he's been passed for over a year now. He passed away. But it's, it was like, what do they call that reconciliation or, or trying to yeah. get closure? Yeah, it's it's amazing. I I'm astounded when you look at you know the research, particularly that Dr. Cooper does. Just how many people have experienced this, um, you know, or variations of this. I I find it fascinating. It's, yeah, that is, um, that you know, is fascinating. It's you know for from calls on you know even on mobile phones and people getting texts now um on their phones from people that are that have passed days weeks even you know months beforehand it's yeah it's it's not an area i'm knowledgeable on but it's an area that fascinates me yeah absolutely. i know grizzly has talked before uh, about on his deck at his, uh, I believe his his mom's house and his, uh, what your grandpa out there down at down to Lake smoking yeah. after his, he passed. So yes, uh, it it does happen. Uh, it, it's yeah. it's very fascinating, right? It's something that we cannot uh, understand nor explain to somebody. It's never encountered something like this because they can't comprehend it. No, I mean I struggled to comprehend it, and it happened to me. It's yeah. So for somebody that hasn't experienced it, it's yeah, it's weird. I mean, it, you hear stories as well of people where phones ring, where the phones aren't even connected anymore. They're, they're just a decorative piece that sat there. And, you know, they've rung. And yes, yeah, some amazing experiences that people have had. And it. it, it uh oh, did we lose you, Rachel? I'm back again. Okay, there we go. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> okay, good. But no, you're right. And, uh, you know, when people explain their stories to other people, uh, usually it's years after the fact because a lot of people just don't talk about it. So, no, absolutely. No, exactly. I mean, I, I didn't speak about this. I mean, say this happened in 1999, and I didn't speak about this till till. Cal's well about a year before Cal's book came out um because I just didn't I didn't know anything about it I didn't think anyone would believe me to be honest you you know uh, the the fact that I was arguing with myself saying no this is wrong and I was really riling with myself I'm, I must have looked like a demented woman I really must have done because I could hear this phone and I knew nobody else could hear it because I was in a tent and I was getting cross because who puts an extension bell for a phone out in a campsite? You know, I was like, how dare these people? And then realized that actually nobody else was being disturbed but me. And yeah, really bizarre experience. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's that's amazing. That's actually an amazing experience. Yeah. Uh, mm. I mean, Grizz, could you imagine somebody that, that you hadn't talked to in years that you never thought you'd talk to again give you a call? Well, my ex-mother-in-law, when her really? husband passed. Uh, you know, now uh, cable in America uh, depends on your provider. When your telephone rings, uh, your home phone, it will display who's calling on your TV screen. And uh, her dead husband's cell phone number came up. And said oh, his wow. name a year after he passed. And uh, she answered it and nobody was on the line. Uh, explain that with his name on it. So that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah that, uh, i mean i i've heard i've heard of experiences like that before there's just no way to explain it it's you know someone will tell you oh, it's a glitch with the, t the telephone company or the cable company but that's a hell of a glitch for it to ring that person's house and for them to know who it is especially when you have somewhere the size of the states you know we're small right. fry compared to you guys population wise so the chances of that happening and being the right person over there is enormous right um so uh, you go on to talk about your experiment uh with zinner cards and a ouija board can you first of all explain what zinner cards are are those the zen cards that we we talked about um they're the cards with the the best well if you're like me and you're a fan of ghostbusters yeah. In the very first Ghostbuster, um, he's holding up cards and he's trying to electrocute the the bloke and making the woman pretend that she's getting all the cards right with the stars on and the wavy lines. Yep. Yep. They're Zena cards. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. They're, they're yeah. the Zena cards. So, so basically the experiment we've been running is which we've been running for about five years. Um, we find it works better in places that are, should we say, more educated. They don't seem to work well in prisons for some reason. Um, but basically, the idea is Ouija boards, spirit boards, angel boards, whatever you want to call them, there is an awful lot of... Um, discussion about them and whether it's the idometer effect whether it's you pushing the glass um whether it's um subconsciously happening whether it's fraudulently happening and i right. believe all of those are possible we all know that people can act fraudulently and i do believe that the subconscious is very capable of trying to make you push the glass to get the answer that you want but what I what we're trying to do is actually just find out if you have an answer, but you don't know the answer, whether it'll give you the answer. And the way we've come about this is by using the Zena cards. We have two packs. So we on the board, we will have one of those five main types of card. So we have one of each down one side of the board. And then we take the same cards, the same shapes and then and it's very important that you don't look that nobody else can see what you're doing and you shuffle the cards randomly behind your back or you get somebody else to do it and then you choose a card but obviously you can't see so this is all random you hold the card up behind your back again so that nobody else can see there's no reflections in mirrors and you basically ask the spirits if they can match the card that you're holding by taking the glass on the board and matching it to the card on the board oh shut the front door uh-uh and when it works <laughs> it doesn't work all the time but when it works it is bloody incredible yeah now that that would that would freak me out yeah, yeah. And I've got friends of mine who are massive skeptics. Um, they've done it. They've done similar experiments, but with picture cards instead, or you can do it with playing cards, as long as you've got the same cards. Um, and when they, they've had it happen to them and they just can't explain it. And we do it in groups of five, mainly because it makes the maths easy when you're working out the percentages. Um, and our hit rate is round about 30%, which is, in paranormal speaking, is quite high. Yeah, that's that's hard to explain that. Yeah, and it, it is, it's fascinating. And you just, I mean, obviously you need to check that there's some activity, first of all. Um and usually how I'll start it is if we go go to a location where we're going to do it, 
I'll speak out to the spirits before we even start. And I say, we're going to play a game or an experiment, depending on where you are, you know, who you're trying to um, or what you're trying to encourage to help you. And you explain it to them and then hope that when you bring the board, because I'm not one that's going to sit. We don't sit there and go, oh, is there anybody there or anything like that? Um, it's purely used for this kind of experiment. Um, and we've we've had some fascinating results with it. What's really interesting is how you said in locations that is less probable of intelligence that is not there compared to other locations like prisons, right? So if mm. we look at statistics, most people that are in prison does not have a high IQ or, or high level intelligence, right? So that makes sense. So it's very or a high level of patience. That is correct. And that makes sense. So that for you to conclude that from doing this, uh, that is fantastic observations. Yeah. We wow. we found it works better in in libraries in places of learning we've done courthouses before and we, we get some kind of response there our local town hall is where we've had the best response and that's because it's been an ongoing um project for many years we've been going in there for many years um almost you know on a monthly basis and we were able then to not so much get a rapport, but I think there's a there was a level of trust with whatever was there and with us, um, if that makes sense. So that was where we had our best responses. But it was again, it was a place that was used as a hospital. It was um, it's been used as for various activities since the place was built in the 1800s. Wow. Um, and I would love people to try it. I would love people to do it and then sort of come back to me and let me know how they get on. There you, you go, know, Chris. Don't you expect do it. anything on your first one. Pardon? I don't oh, know. Sorry. I don't know if I can do that. That would literally freak me out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, I'm not a Ouija board guy myself, so. Yeah, one of the, the funniest ones we had was we did it in a castle. Um, we've got a castle quite close to where I live called St. Breville's. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. I love it. I've been there nearly 40 times investigating over the years. And we did it there one evening and it kicked the cards off. We had our fingers on the glass and it literally kicked all the cards off and then spelt out the word boring. <laughs> And I, I just oh, had that no. job, like, yeah, okay, you don't want to play <laughs> no. then. <laughs> no. <laughs> Somebody knows your language when, when they told you you was boring. Well, it could have well been, yep. Right. Now you uh yep. you mentioned in your in, in what you had sent me, uh yeah, you have strong interest in uh, demonology. I do explain it, that. Explain that. Oh please. I find the concept of demons throughout history and throughout different religions very fascinating. Um, I think there is, um, it's quite weird because over here we don't, we're not as into demons over here as maybe you are in the States and certainly sort of in Europe and places like that. Um, and I just I find it very interesting the the concept of them, um, the history of them, particularly particularly um, in Christianity, where um, to be honest, they were, in my opinion, and the history kind of shows they were invented by the church to control people, um, and there's there's evidence of that throughout the Crusades. Um, so, yes, I, I find them very interesting. And if you look back in history, into ancient history, demons were actually oracles and were a form of entity that people went to for 
advice um, and assistance. They weren't something that was looked at as evil or, you know, um, I can never say the word, malevolent. Yeah. So that leads me to my next question. Have you run across in your experiences ever run across one or thought you might have run across a demon? Oh, the only thing that I I've come across some very negative spirits. Um, I never believe that when you see on television, excuse me, my cats have come to say hello. So if I if get a tail or anything, there you go, there's a tail. Um, I've come across, as I say, some very negative spirits. Um, one of my team members is my daughter. Um, and I watched her, I watched scratches appear on her neck, which um, I was quite shocked at and brought the investigation to an end. I still do not believe that it was demonic. And I don't believe that it is because if you read the actual history of demons from a negative point of view, they should be able to do far more than a few scratches. Um, you don't, there's not enough evidence there, I think, to back up the demonic behavior that maybe Hollywood likes to portray. Yeah. Um, the only thing that has I have ever happened has ever happened, which I can't explain, was when I was living at the lock. Um, I was trying to think how old I was 13 or 16, it's in my book. I was woken up at night because I was having a nightmare. And when I woke up, this nightmare was still going on. Hmm. And it was the most horrific sound that I have ever heard in my life. It sounded like, and it's the only way I can describe it, as if a pack of wolves were fighting. And you could hear every growl, snarl, biting, snapping, every noise. But it all seemed to be coming from one voice box. And my parents were awake. My mum was crying. Um, and I called out to my dad, who was nothing scared my dad. He was a real Victorian, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child. He, he nothing scared him whatsoever and I asked him what it was and he said I don't know and I said are you going to find out and his words were not bloody likely and he said to me whatever you do don't look out of the window oh wow and that stuck with me and this noise went on for about an hour and then it just stopped hmm. and this is on a lock side. There's no other houses around. You know, we, there's a total of 250 acres. Um, so we're talking about a lot of space. There were no boats because it was September. So the season had finished. There was no animal that could make that sound there. Um, the islands were private. Nothing could get on there. It didn't sound like anything. I mean, I, I, I love natural history and big fans of David Attenborough. Uh, I went to the library because back in those days, you didn't, there was no internet or anything like that. But we used to have um, like tapes and you could listen to bird sounds and things like that um, through tape recorders and headphones. And I listened to everything that I could possibly think it was. And nothing matched this sound. And in the morning when I went out there, because I said it sounded like this pack of wolves fighting, I expected to see the ground, the grass turfed up. I expected to see scratches on the tarmac, even blood or fur. And there was nothing. There was not a blade of grass out of, out of place. There was no scratches on the pathway, nothing. And my dad, who had spent all my life saying there's no such things as ghosts, said there's more between heaven and hell than we'll ever know. Hmm. Um, whether that was 
demonic. What do you class as a demon? To me, um, I would go more with what we class as elementals, which is like a an earthborn entity that's um, some would say they're there to protect the water or the trees or things like that. I don't know, but I know that it was nothing that should have been on this planet. Wow. <clears throat> and it terrified us. And for my dad to be too scared to go and look, um, you know, we, we used to get um, party steamers coming up and you'd get people on there, you know, lads, groups of lads that had had far too much to drink and were causing chaos. My dad would just walk down there and he had a big lump of wood because you could do that in those days. And he just knocked their legs out from under them. And then he'd have called the police and the police came and picked them up and took them up. You know, he, I saw him take on six, seven lads. And this is a guy that was in his 50s. Um, nothing scared my dad. But that, that night he was too scared to go out and see what was out there. Wow. And yeah, that that's the only thing I could ever say that has come close to following that line. But I don't know. Mm. I do think that a lot of spirits will pretend to be demons because they know that that's what scares us. Right. Um, and especially if you have spirits that um, either have had some kind of religious background or uh, my personal belief is what you're like in life is what you're going to be like in death. So if you're a mean, nasty so-and-so in life, you're not going to be very pleasant in death. Um, if you've got a sick sense of humour in life, you're going to take that with you. Um, and I... I intend to haunt people in the most horrendous of ways when I go. Um, and I'm sure that there are many spirits that think, yeah, we can have you. You think you've come to investigate us, but we'll get rid of you. And, right. you know, it's spirits will lie um, because they can, in my opinion. Why not? Yeah. You've got, you know, you've got the whole of eternity. You've got to do something to keep yourself um, entertained. Yeah. Um and I, I, I think that is I think that is a lot of the problems is because um, there's been so much talk over the last few years about demons. It's almost like ghosts and spirits are are no longer scary enough. We need something else. We need something more to to scare people, um, especially sort of from the entertainment point of view. Um, and I think, you know. The, this talk is heard. I think it's heard in the ether just as much as we hear it on a, you know, as we're talking now. And I, I mean, I, I must be honest, if I was a spirit and knew that someone was scared by demons, I'd be on that like a shot. I'd be doing whatever <laughs> I could to scare the bejeebas out of them. Yeah. Rachel, how does everybody find you and uh, follow you and uh, so forth? Um, I'm on Facebook. Um, so Rachel Hayward, um, so you can find me on Facebook. I've got a, um, what have I got? I've also got, um, the rope page as well. You can find researches of paranormal events. And there's also myself, which is as a paranormal investigator consultant. Awesome. And don't forget so, she has a book out called the live and I have a book out. Yeah. Oh, and man. there's, um, I think in the book, hold on, uh, I think, yeah, my email address is also in the book as well. So if anybody wants to contact me that way, they're more than welcome. I'm definitely not going out with you on a ghost hunt. <laughs> oh, no, come <laughs> over. We'll have a ball. Yeah. We'll have a ball. But thank you so much. It's been an honor. I know it's like one oh two a.m., so... <laughs> Uh, I, I greatly appreciate your time <laughs> and uh, everything, and you're more welcome to come back anytime. So, yeah. Love to. Love to. Thank I'll, you. Um, I have to um, listen out because I'm also very interested in um, cryptoids and things like that. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. But, yeah. I'd like to hear some more of that. That would be good. Yeah. Guys, it's been coast. an absolute pleasure. Thank you very, very much. You're Thank welcome. You. Good night, everybody. Bye bye. Good night. Take care. Thank you. <laughs>